Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Today is the first day on the Advent calendar. Of course, Advent is the season of the lead up to Christmas. It's uh, Advent is a word that means coming or arrival. It's always the fourth Sunday before Christmas. It's a time when we look back to the significance that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ as a baby born in a manger, and we look forward to another coming in the future. It's not only the first day of Advent, but today is my 27th spiritual birthday. Come on. 27 years ago today, I was born again. I might tell you a story around that a little bit later. But um, we're going to look at three passages of Scripture. All of them focus on this name of God that is most associated with Christmas, with Jesus being born. And uh, that name, of course, is Emmanuel. In one of those passages, there's a reference, one of these three passages, there's a reference that really helps us understand how we should relate to God. And maybe it's not something that we would normally associate or connect with Christmas and the coming of Jesus, but it's very intertwined with Emmanuel, which means, by the way, God with us. So Matthew chapter 1, we'll start there. Feel free to get your Bible out, or you can look to the screen here. Beginning in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as, she, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is a passage from Isaiah. We'll just we'll look at it in just a moment. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given, till she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So now we're going to look at two references, two passages in the Old Testament, the only other two places where we see God referred to as Emmanuel. The first one Matthew's quoted for us. This is Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a son. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name. Emmanuel. But then there's one more, and this is in the very next chapter. I'm not going to read the whole passage. This is in Isaiah 8, and it's right after Isaiah again refers to God as Emmanuel, God who is with us. And then he says this, and I'll read this from the New Living Translation. The Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. Don't think like everybody else. He said, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do, and don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life, 
He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. He will keep you safe. Title of this message today, we'll call it uh, Fear the Lord, He is with us. Father, we thank you for your presence. You are with us. You've been with us as we've been worshiping you, manifesting your presence. And Lord, we just take a moment now and we honor your presence. Lord, you're holy. Jesus, you're here. We want you to be the focal point. We want you to be the one who's honored. Father, may we be mindful that you're God with us. Father, may this revelation of Emmanuel, Lord, you're with us always. Father, may we practice your presence, but may we relate to you rightly. May we not be a people who fear man, but a people who fear God in Jesus' name. Amen. My um, journey of coming to Christ was in many ways a transition, a transfer of the, the fear of man and living under the fear of man and coming into the fear of God. I mean, that was the very thing that God used to break me down and humble me was this realization of how afraid of people I was, how over-concerned I was for trying to get other people to like me. Does anybody else struggle with that sometimes? Feel a little bit insecure? Care too much what other people think? Posting on social media to get a little bit of love, little dopamine hit? Maybe somebody tell me how pretty I look or how good I look or tell me how great I am. I mean, we all, we all have this tendency to go to man for validation. We all have this tendency to think that all is right in the world if, other, if people like me. We tend to identify and, and see ourselves based on how other people see us. And... I was so overcome by this. It like just was this weight that was on me. And there was this one night I was with my friends. We were all tripping on mushrooms and told you I could give these levers a run for their money. We're all tripping on mushrooms, but it wasn't fun. It was, this was my normal way of escape and enlightenment and whatever it was that I was chasing. But all I could feel the whole time was just this weight of insecurity. And I, and what do other people think about me? And it was like, God just pulled back the veil of my heart and I saw my brokenness and I come home the next morning and I'm alone in my bedroom and God begins to speak to me. It was like the presence of God came and he basically asked me, why are you why do you care so much what people think about you? Why are you living your life trying to please other people? You're never going to stand before those people to give an account for your life, but you are going to stand before me. And besides, you know, I had this feeling like, I don't know what any of my other friends think about me, but I'm like, man, I know God loves me. I remembered enough about the gospel to know that his love is unconditional. That I don't have to do anything to get him to like me. He just does. He just loves me. And, and in this this tension of seeing the severity of God and the reality that I would stand before him and give an account for my life together with just being broken and humbled by his love that is unconditional. And I don't have to perform or measure up or get there, do something to get him to like me. It just broke me. And I was just like, Jesus, I'll serve you for whatever. I don't care. I'll just serve you. 
And man, there'd been this long period of time where I'm, I'm pushing it off into the future. Yeah, I'll get right with God later. I'll get right with God when, when it's summer and I won't be so busy with uni and, 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 and I'll have time to get right with God then. And then summer rolls around and I'm like, well, all right, well, when semester starts, I won't be partying so much and then I'll get right with God then. You know, but God began to break me down and he brings us to this point where the, the pain of not serving him becomes greater than whatever perceived pain we'd have on the other side of submitting our lives to him. And this is the way that God leads us sometimes. He has to break us down and humble us and, and strip away our idols and say, no, no, I'm going to get that out of your life. But that whole transition, that whole shift in my, in my life was all about coming out of a life lived under the fear of man into a life where I'm fearing God. We're going to fear someone because we're created to worship. We're worshiping beings. And so you got a choice. Either you can fear God or you can fear man. But we're all going to worship something. We're all going to, we're all going to try to get something to fill our soul so that we can either suppress the, the sorrow and the brokenness or we can let, bring it, let God fill that hole and free us and deliver us from the brokenness and the sorrow. But on the, for the first time in my life that morning, I knew God was present. He changed me. But I didn't really necessarily feel the fear of the Lord so much in that moment, other than just the sense of accountability for him. But I did know that he wanted me to change the way that I was living. And I go to work the next day, and it was like, man, I'm different. I was halfway through my shift, and I was like, I'm not swearing. What's happened to me? What's going on? I'm a different person now. The next day, I go to uni, and, and I see my friend who sat next to me in accounting class, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting right with God. He's like, really? That's incredible. And it was really this guy who sat next to me in accounting class. His name was Randy. Unfortunate name. Uh, when you live in Australia, there's, there's nobody named Randy in Australia. I don't know why. Or in the UK. But anyway, this is his name. Short for Randall, I guess. Anyway, he's a great guy. Um, his good friend, he never really preached to me, but man, he talked about his relationship with God. He witnessed and he just overflowed with love. And uh, he told me about this church and I was going to go to this church on Sunday because I'm getting right with God. And then my buddy comes over the next day to, um, see me. And he's like, the, the doorbell rings I go to the door. He's like, Hey, what's up, man? He's said, Hey, what's up? He's like, Hey, I just come over to get you high. I was like, Oh, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm serving Jesus now. He's like, really? All right, cool. Well, but I was like, hey, come on in. Let's hang out. Don't let me, you know, stop you. If you want to, this might not have been the best idea, but I was like, if, if you want to get high, it's cool. I'll just watch. I'll just, we'll just hang out. And, uh, and so he's getting high and I, I might've started to feel a little bit tempted and I uh, was smelling it and, you know, and I was like, oh, let me have a little taste. He's like, are you sure, man? Like, even he knew I wasn't supposed to. <laughs> you sure? 
I mean, the Holy Spirit was trying to help me through my, my lost friend. You sure, man? And uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, now it's cool. He's like, all right. So took a little hit, and um, I got high. It had been several days, and it was very potent. And so then he leaves, and I'm alone, but I'm not alone. Someone else shows up. And this was the first time that I would say I ever felt really the fear of the Lord. And it wasn't this harsh, critical, angry voice, but it was stern. But it was also loving. And God essentially said in that moment, he said, son, this can't be a part of your life anymore if you're going to serve me. You got to lay this down. And as I've said before, I only got high one more time after that. I was on the Friday night. But then I went and had this encounter with the Holy Spirit on Sunday. And I still remember the, the, the pastor of that church laying his hands on me. I was in the back. I can still picture it. My heart's racing. I just get filled with the Holy Spirit. In that moment, I'm speaking in tongues. And I had no intention of that. But the Holy Spirit just came on me. And I just felt this wave of love and peace. And, and I had this realization on the way home, it was like I made this commitment. I said, it was like this realization that I don't need that anymore. It's like I was holding on to the weed. If, I, if, if all this fails, I, at least I can go back to this. But this realization that, man, I got Jesus now, and I don't need anything else. He's all I need. And, I, and, I, and it was so strong. I said, Jesus, I will never smoke weed as long as I live. That's it. I'm done. And I didn't because I'd been changed on the inside and I had this encounter with him and, and, and just this sense that he's, he's all I need. And so God leads us on this journey of understanding what it means to fear him, not as an angry um, master, but as a loving father who also happens to be the creator who's holy, who dwells in unapproachable light. And so when we understand the fear of the Lord in the context of what Isaiah said, was that you need to come out from under the fear of man, and you need to come under the fear of God, then we begin to understand that coming under the fear of the Lord does not mean coming into bondage. It means coming out of bondage into freedom that there's something freeing in our soul about fearing the one who should be feared. There's a change. And the context of this, this Isaiah prophecy was the um, Judah was about to be attacked by Assyria who had just taken over Israel not long before and carried them all into captivity, the northern tribes. And Judah was the, the, the one tribe that was remaining. At least they had some faithful kings. And one, one king at this time, Hezekiah, and through his faithfulness and his, his crying out to God and the people responding to this of coming out of the fear of man, don't, don't listen to all the conspiracy. Don't call everything conspiracy. Yeah, maybe there's some conspiracy theories out there that are accurate, but don't call everything conspiracy. Don't be fearing man 
and fearing what people can do to you, even in this age, even with all the chaos and the control and the manipulation and the fear of government overreach. Man, do we, let's, let's not trust in man. If we're overcome by fear of all the chaos going on out there, then, man, we're not really fearing the Lord. We're fearing man. And so God wants to deliver us just like he did Judah at this time out of this bondage and slavery to the fear of man and bring us into the freedom of the fear of God. Their victory depended upon them fearing the Lord. And the same is true for us. There's a spiritual victory that God wants to lead us to that hinges upon who we're going to fear. Are we going to fear man or are we going to fear the Lord? Jesus echoes the same challenge. All right, this isn't just an Old Testament truth. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, Jesus came to, pay, to make a way for us through a narrow gate to, and on a narrow path to find the way to life. But he said, don't, don't fear people that can just kill the body. Fear the one who has dominion over and, and power in the realm of your soul. But this whole fear of the Lord thing can be a little bit challenging sometimes. I don't know if anybody else struggles with this, but really understanding what is the fear of the Lord and how do we understand that? And wait a minute, he's our father and he loves us, but should we fear him? And what does all that mean? And I think in the church, we've, we've probably shied away from this message of the fear of the Lord in this overemphasis of the God who just, you know, wants to make your life great and meet all of your needs. And while that's true, we don't want to come to Jesus of a man-centered gospel. I was listening to John Bevere talk about this recently, and he was telling the story of preaching on the fear of the Lord at this conference, very well-known pastor, very well-known church. And he gets up, preaches on the fear of the Lord, thought it went great, comes back the next day, the pastor is announcing him and, and introducing him to speak. And before he gets up there, he basically just undermines everything. He says, we don't need to fear the Lord today. We're under the new covenant. And you imagine, and, and everyone welcome, John Bevere. You know, and he's getting up there after this guy has just completely undermined everything he had said in the last message. What's the brother going to say then? And he, you know, he, he went away from that. He said it was the, the, one of the hardest, most difficult moments of his life. And he goes away, leaves there immediately, and just goes to pray. And he said, as he, you know, he was like, God, did I not do a good job? And he said he just felt the pleasure of the Lord. He said, I felt his pleasure. And the next part of the story was, it wasn't long. He said, well, at the, he said, now that church doesn't exist, and that pastor is no longer a pastor. And I think there's a shift that's happening away from a gospel that is all about come to Jesus and get your needs met. I was preaching this morning and talking about the lordship of Jesus. And, and, and I mean, how about this for an invitation to Jesus? D Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that when uh, Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. 
All right, that's the invitation. I'm sorry it's not any more warm and fuzzy than that. Jesus is inviting you to come and die. Christian message, sorry. That's the gospel. If you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross. All right, the cross wasn't a religious symbol at the time. Take up your cross, an instrument of death, capital punishment, and follow me. You cease to exist. You're laying your life down. I'm living through you now. That's the message. Is it any wonder that the church has been in decline and the church has in previous generations, as we've preached a message that's all about us just finding our best life. Now, Jesus has a great life for us on the other side of submission to his authority and, and fearing the Lord, but somehow along the way, we lost the primacy of who Jesus really is. He is the ascended king. He's on the throne. He is Lord. He has the right to expect our complete, total submission and obedience. But it can be challenging to understand this message of the fear of the Lord in the context of the new covenant, his grace. He loves us. So what is the fear of the Lord? Well, sometimes before we understand what the fear of the Lord is, it's good to helpful to understand what it is not. The fear of the Lord is not being scared of God. We're not to be scared of him. God doesn't want us to be afraid of him. We can't relate intimately to someone that we're afraid of. Men, if you're harsh, domineering to your wife, towards your kids, it's going to come, it's going to be very difficult to have intimacy, closeness, and trust in that relationship. And so we can see that in the natural very clearly. And so if God is our Father who loves us, who leads us, mercifully. He's aware of our shortcomings, our failings. Certainly, he's not saying to be scared of him. Romans 8, 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We have to understand the fear of the Lord in the context of the Father heart of God. Now, understanding the fear of the Lord is made even more difficult when we maybe didn't have a really great relationship with our natural father. One of the things I'm really thankful for is that for all of my dad's shortcomings and failings, he did two things really well. He was very verbally and physically affectionate towards me. He very frequently told me he loved me. He very frequently hugged me. He did that really well. The other thing he did really well, at least till he, before he went off the deep end, is he had very clear boundaries and he helped me to feel pain when I crossed those boundaries. He even fashioned this wooden stick, I guess you'd call it, paddle. He even drilled holes in it to make it like, have be more aerodynamic. He obeyed the Bible. 
Sorry, kids. I know. I'm, I thought they were all going to be out there, but uh, that's all right, mate. I think you'll be on that, but be on that season. But man, that did something for my soul to learn that disobedience and crossing the boundary equals pain. There's a whole lot of fatherless men in prison right now because they never had a father that taught them that when you cross the line, you're going to feel pain. And so it's a beautiful, wonderful thing to receive discipline, loving discipline, to get smacked a little bit on the part that God created for that, the cushiony bit, and then to get a big hug afterwards. And so if we didn't experience this kind of loving discipline, affection, it can be hard for us to understand what God is like. Here's another verse, 1 John 4, 17. By this is love perfected with us so that we, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, also, as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. A lot of people wrongly think of the fear of God as that which comes from this expectation that if I make a wrong step, God is going to punish me. Can I just tell you that there's no more punishment left? All the punishment for your sin and mine has been poured out on Jesus. He received all the punishment that there is to be received. There's no more left. It's done. And so don't ever ask the question, is, is this pain in my life God paying me back for something that I did? No, because we don't relate to God on the basis of our good performance, and we don't shrink back from him on the basis of our bad performance. Jesus was punished on our behalf, but he does discipline us. Hebrews 12, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises, chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And so while we know that all punishment has been poured out upon Jesus, we also know that God, our Father, who loves us, is actively framing and shaping us into the character of Jesus. He's refining us. And he's sovereignly orchestrating affairs and things that happen in our life to maybe test us or reveal something in our soul because we responded in this moment in a certain way to help us understand maybe what we can work on. And sometimes that, that journey, that process is a little bit painful. I don't know about you, but as a parent, I would much rather help my child through discipline feel a little bit of pain early to avoid a whole lot of pain later. And so in the same way that I had this sense of almost like a, 
I wasn't afraid of my dad, but man, there was a, there was a fear of crossing the, the, the boundary. There was a sense that if I go past this line, I'm going to feel a little bit of pain. And so in my relationship with God, I'm very aware that there are certain ways that I might choose to live that are going to have consequences. There are certain things that if I choose to open myself up to them and give them a stronghold in my life, it's going to take me down a very dark path. One of the great things about disciplining our children well is that if we do a good job when they're three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, when they become teenagers, you begin to have this really great relationship with them. It's like establishing the boundaries and them having that, that almost fear of crossing the line because I know my loving parents are going to help me feel the pain of that consequence if there's not already a, a natural consequence for being stupid. It does something for the relationship. It like brings you into this ability to connect because there's got to be respect, right? There's got to be a recognition that I'm the dad, you're the kid. God has given me authority in your life. And when we get that out of the way early, we can relate to one another in a healthy way in the teenage years. And then the relationship begins to shift and change. And then we become more like friends. You know, the same thing begins to happen in our relationship with God. The deepest and most intimate relationship with God possible is found when we fear him. You can bring up the next slide. The deepest most intimate relationship with God is found when we fear him. I love this passage, Psalm 25, 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. There's another translation that says the, the intimacy of the Lord or the secret of the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. Do you know that the fear of the Lord positions you and I, to have the most close and intimate relationship with God possible. I love the next part. And he makes known to them his covenant. Do you know that you get introduced to covenant benefits and covenant blessings on the other side of fearing God? That it's like, sometimes I have these moments of like, man, does anybody else see this? Is anyone else believing God for this? This is almost too good. It's like this feeling of privilege, like, man, I've been introduced to something that's amazing that comes on the other side of fearing him. I think it's because the fear of the Lord helps us to maintain a right motivation in our pursuit of him. Sometimes I get stuck on Instagram reels. Can anybody else? All right, I'm glad I'm not the only one. It's like going down into this dark hole. What just happened to the last 30 minutes? And then they're on YouTube now as well. So I just, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> the, I've seen these Instagram reels where this guy will like be like, try to like hit on this girl. And then she, 
invariably like rejects him, right? And then he walks over to his Lambo and the girl's like, oh, is that your car? And then, you know, oh, yeah, no, 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 you know, yeah, let's, uh, let's hang out. And then he like, you know, kind of then rejects her and calls her out as the gold digger, right? But how frequently might we tend to relate to God like a gold digger, like a spiritual gold digger? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, no, no, okay, yeah. yeah, I'll serve you, God, if you will do this for me. Now, when this was on your terms, I wasn't really too interested, but, but actually, no, no, actually, now I, now I thought of something that I need, so let me go through the motions, and let me, let me try to position myself in a, and, and feign this submission to you, or, or this, this sense of desire for you, but see, the fear of the Lord positions us to come to him with pure motive. God, I just want you. I just want you. I don't want to be anywhere that you're not. I don't want to be outside of your covering and your protection. I don't want to be in any place where I'm fearing man. I just, I just want to fear you. Fear the Lord protects us. When we fear the Lord, we love what he loves, and we hate what he hates. To fear the Lord means to revere him, to esteem him, to respect him, to appreciate him. And there's other passages of scripture that refer to the fear of the Lord. And then in the next line, it speaks of standing in awe of him. To fear the Lord means to have this such a revelation of who he is, his authority, his lordship, his holiness, at the same time his love, and just to be in awe, just to be awestruck with the understanding of who he is. And as that begins to happen, we start to embrace his heart. We start to become more like him. Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. When we fear God, we desire him more than anything else. We just want to be around him, and then we become like him. We start to love what he loves and hate what he hates. And this begins to lead us into a purity and a holiness in our lives that doesn't come from trying to meet some external standard, but it comes from within. It's this desire to please him, to love him, and to honor him. The fear of the Lord brings wisdom, and wisdom brings greatness. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. If you want wisdom, you got to first get what? The fear of the Lord. Wisdom is on the other side of the fear of the Lord. And then look at the next verse, Proverbs 4. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. I don't know. I probably would have chosen a better word for their wisest. But I didn't look at the Hebrew. And I ain't God, so we'll just read it as it is. Getting wisdom is the wisest, the best, the smartest thing you can do. 
And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. And look at this. How good is this? If you prize wisdom, which comes on the other side of the fear of the Lord, she will make you great. Embrace her and she will honor you. I've been reading through the Proverbs of the last week over and over again. There's this challenge to cry out to God for wisdom because God wants us to be wise. Why? Because God wants us to be great. He wants to elevate and increase our influence. He wants to bring us honor, but it has to come on the other side of the fear of the Lord because if we don't pass through the fear of the Lord to get wisdom, which is going to bring us honor and greatness, what's going to happen? It's going to go to our head and we're going to worship it, and we're going to pursue it, and we're going to find our identity in the power and the influence that God gives. But when we fear the Lord, we can handle the greatness that he wants to bring, the influence that he wants to bring. Don't apologize. Don't apologize for uh, the, the pursuit of greatness, all right? Let them all out there who aren't in the church chop each other down, tall poppies, all right? Let them chop the top hobbies down out there. That's not the way we roll in the church because God has a call and a destiny upon our life for greatness. So just dream a little bit. Dream about what could happen, what could be possible. Begin to cry out to God for some prophetic vision and insight. What might it look like for you to have a lot more influence than you have now? Man, we're called to reign as kings in life. I mean, what does that mean in this world as followers of Jesus? One of the things about wisdom is that it helps us to connect our decisions and choices today to their long-term consequences. And we see this in the Proverbs, both in a positive sense and in a negative sense. There's all these promises that if you will consistently do this, then here's the great things that are gonna happen. But then there's this story in Proverbs 7, and there's all these warnings about uh, the uh, adulteress and warnings about committing adultery. And Solomon is telling a story in Proverbs 7 of a young man who lacks sense. He lacks wisdom. And he's going down the pathway towards the house of the adulteress. And he's probably thinking at this point, I'm not going to go in. I'm just going to look through the window as I walk by. But there she is. And she begins to, to entice and seduce. And he goes down that path, Solomon says, not knowing that it's going to cost him his life. In the previous chapter, it talks about how the, the one who commits adultery will end basically in death like a arrow being pierced through the liver. I think the liver's on this side, actually. Foolishness is the inability to connect our choices and decisions today to their long-term consequences. Whenever I counsel someone who's just about to get married, 
It's like I, I'm I'm appealing to them. You need to understand the consequences of not keeping your hands off of each other right now. If you want to bring a curse upon the first year of, of intimacy in your marriage, then have no boundaries now. But if you want God's blessing upon that season, then you need to live in holiness. You need to walk in purity. I, I tell them, you've got to sow seeds of trust in your future wife because you don't want her on the other side of marriage feeling guilty after moments of intimacy because that's bringing up what she felt before. And you don't want her thinking, man, he couldn't keep his hands off of me before we were married. How do I know he's not going to keep his hands off of another woman at work? There are consequences of our sin. Even as Christians, we're committed to following Jesus. But if we make wrong choices, they lead us down a path of death and destruction. And this is why we have family. This is why we live open, honest, vulnerable, transparent lives. I love it when, when, when I'm in a moment of discipleship and someone confesses their sin. There's nothing more beautiful than that. Just that vulnerability and transparency. I love it when I have opportunity to counsel married couples who are just like, we need help. I know you need help because I need help. I was at a counselor last week. We all need help. Let's help each other. It's the humility, vulnerability. When, when, when we fear the Lord and we understand the consequences, the curse of our sin, then it makes us just want to bring it all out into the light. Help me. Help me be free. I want to be free. Help. Pray for me. That's why James says that we're to confess our sins for one another and pray for one another so that we can be healed. Because freedom comes on the other side of that vulnerability and transparency because we fear the Lord and we're afraid of the long-term consequences. We're afraid we fear being outside of the protection of God. We're afraid of positioning ourselves through our actions uh, in a realm where the enemy has free reign. We're afraid to uh, give a foothold to the devil in our life. That's what it means to fear the Lord. It's, it's a fear of being outside of his protective influence. It's a fear of being away from him. It's a fear of diminishing his presence in our lives because we love him so much. We long for him. One final thought. Got to give you this one to tie us back into Christmas. Jesus came to bring the right kind of fear into our hearts. That's why Jesus came to help us fear God in the right way, to free us from a tendency to feel as though we deserve punishment, to be punished for us so that we can be made right with the Father through the finished work of Christ. 2 Corinthians 6, I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, Paul says, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. There's something beautiful and wonderful about knowing that we're unconditionally accepted by God. Have a revelation of his holiness. And it positions us to 
as he says, to perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. And in that revelation of who he is, to become more like him. Only possible because Jesus was born, lived a sinless life, died the death of a criminal on the cross, resurrected in power, and now seated at the right hand of the Father. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.